Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Let's Talk Tribe. This is your host, Jason Lupert, back for episode five. Uh, since the last time we talked, it's been sort of a down and an up week for the Indians. Uh, started off a homestand with four games against Detroit, who we were in front of about a week ago, week and a half ago, uh, and then lost three of four, which is a drag. Uh, then played Toronto, took two of three. And the big story for the Indians today in town is uh, the performance of Danny Salazar yesterday. He was making his MLB debut and uh, went six innings, only gave up one run, and in a lot of ways was better than that. Um, his first first base runner only came because Lonnie Chisenhall lost the foul ball in the sun and the inning was extended. Uh, the first hit he gave up came after a pretty brutal uh, call and probably should have been strike three. And I don't like to get into arguing balls and strikes, but it was really right over the plate. Anyway, even with that, six innings, only one run allowed, and he struck out seven, uh, and was actually, he became the first Indians pitcher to strike out seven or more in his MLB debut since Louis Tian back in 1964, so almost 50 years since any Indian had a debut like that. And he was routinely hitting 96, 97 miles per hour on the radar, uh, something the Indians haven't really had. So who knows what will come of it. But uh, you couldn't ask for a better start. And given the Indians' pitching troubles this year, uh, exactly what they needed. So something to be excited about. Uh, We're heading into the final series before the All-Star break. Uh, The Indians are sitting on a 48-44 record right now two and a half games behind Detroit with uh, the wild card still in play, too. So assured of a winning record for the first half. In the last series uh, coming up this weekend will be against the Kansas City Royals, also at home. Um, and the Royals are in third place right now, uh, I think three and a half games further behind. And so they're obviously looking to stay in contention heading into the break, too. So to talk over this weekend's series and uh, the AL Central and maybe what it's like to be a small market team, my guest this week is a writer from Royals Review, SB Nation's Kansas City site. Uh, Welcome to the show, Clark Fossler. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. It's a a lovely day here in the Midwest. (laughs) Are you in Kansas City or near Kansas City? I am uh, two and a half hours north of Kansas City. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, but Kansas City is just okay. down the interstate from us. Um, so to start off, how and when did you become a Royals fan? Well, I'm I'm kind of an old guy, Jason, so I became a Royals fan when I was, I don't know, six or seven, and the Royals had been around – had been created about three years prior, and my dad bought me a pack of baseball cards with a bunch of Royals in it, and said, this is as close to a local team as we have, and I started following them from there. So, you know, the early part of my life was a pretty good time to be a Royals fan because I kind of grew up with the team, and as you might remember, or maybe you're too young to remember, you know, for 15 years, the Royals were one of the premier franchises in the American League. Uh, and I just, they haven't managed to get rid of me yet, despite being pretty awful for the last 20 years. Yeah, they've been trying pretty hard. I I became a baseball fan in 1986, so I just missed 
the uh, the Royals good run, and they've pretty much always been an average to terrible team in my in my time as a fan. Uh, but I'm glad, you know, to be a fan of the Royals, it's probably better to be at least a little older, so you you were there for the good years. Oh, definitely. And, uh, I mean, and you know, really, until the until the strike, the Royals were on par with any franchise there was. Uh, and the strike and the change in in revenue and salaries, you know, that's really the the tipping point in Kansas City for when we went to a pretty good franchise to a pretty bad one. Sure. And, yeah, I recall when the strike hit in 1994, the White Sox were still in first place, but the, the Royals and Indians both were were right on their heels and playing really well, and there's certainly a lot of what might have been for that season. And, you know, the Indians then went on to have their best run right after the strike, so it was a little easier to, to forget about what might have happened in 94. But, yeah, that was the last time the Royals were really strongly in contention late in the season. Uh, living Nebraska is is it is Omaha home to Royals minor league affiliate? Is that right? Yeah, they're AAA affiliate. It's been in Omaha since uh, 1969. So they have a new ballpark there. It's a great place to see a game if anybody's in the Midwest. But um, there's not, you know, as far as that affiliate, there are not a lot of premier names on that team this year. Um, Danny Duffy's pitching for them, and Jordano Ventura is pitching for him, but otherwise it's it's not a very glitzy group in Omaha this year. Yeah, it seems uh it wasn't too long ago, two or three years ago, that the Royals farm system was this shining beacon. I think I can't remember one of the big I don't know if it was Baseball America, but someone prominent referred to it as maybe the best farm system ever. Does it feel to you like it's been disappointing how things have played out? Do you think not enough time has passed to judge? Uh, I mean, how do you feel about where the team's gone since that point? I think, you know, in the short term, it has been disappointing how that group panned out. And, and you know, whether that was truly the best farm system ever or not, I don't know. There were, there were a lot of awfully good prospects, you know, a lot of whom are playing for the Royals right now. It's Salvador Perez is an all-star, Eric Hosmer, you know, as a big name, Moustakis is really struggling. He was part of that group. Um, but what really happened to that group and what has disappointed Royals fans the most, I think, is there were four left-handed starting pitchers that were part of that prospect group, and Mike Montgomery is now with Tampa and can't get anybody out at any level. Uh, John Lamb had Tommy John surgery and is now almost two years out and still is in A ball and not throwing like he used to. Uh, Duffy's had Tommy John surgery, and then Chris, Chris Dwyer's in AAA, but he has never really been very effective above the AA level. And so the pitchers really flamed out from that group, and that's really hurt this team going forward. And the knock-on effect was then they traded maybe the best hitter out of that entire group, Will Myers, to Tampa to get Will Shields and uh, – or not Will Shields, James Shields and, and Wade Davis. How did you feel about that trade at the time? I was not overly pleased with it, you know, in, in our site, uh, I was probably as positive as anybody, and I wasn't very pleased. Uh, the general thought amongst our group was that the Royals were more than James Shields away from being in contention in 2013, and so trading Will six years, six and a half years of Will Myers for two years of James Shields and a, and a flyer on Wade Davis, who has never been very effective as a starter, 
we didn't think was a very good gamble. Um, you know, basically what they've done is they've turned themselves in from a team that might lose 90 games to one that's probably going to play 500 ball, but I don't think they're going to get to the playoffs. And, and the consensus was that trading Myers and his future, however problematic it might be, was, was maybe not the good risk at this point in time. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, as an outsider to it, that was certainly my take, that Shields is a, is a good pitcher. But like you said, the Royals just didn't really feel like a team that were, were one player away and to give up the best prospects. And, you know, prospects obviously don't always turn out, but probably often don't turn out. But it's still hard to give up someone who might be as good as Myers has been projected to be. Are you you see how he's been doing for Tampa since getting called up a couple of weeks ago? He's had some moments. He is he's got a he, the concern with Myers coming up was he had a really high strikeout rate almost everywhere. And how's that going to play out in the majors and you know, through 100 plate appearances which tells you almost nothing about a player. You know, we've seen him strike out a lot. We've seen him hit with some power and his on-base percentage is low. I I'm, I still think he will be a big-time hitter in the major leagues, but it may not be this year. It might be next year or the year after yet. Yeah, he's still very young. The Indians in 2011 made a somewhat similar trade midseason uh, to get Ubaldo Jimenez, who in 2010 had been fantastic. In 2011, he already kind of started to fall off, and he really hasn't pitched well since then. But the Indians gave up their top two pitching prospects, and it's the same thing. There was some sense. I don't remember how many games back they were at the time of the trade. Only, you know, I think about three games back. And they felt like, you know, we should go for it. Uh, and it didn't pan out. And neither of them has really panned out as a pitching prospect either. Um, but, yeah, giving up guys like that, it's, it's always sort of a, a tense situation in terms of feeling about as a fan, I think. So, well, especially when, you know, while the organization remained high on Jeff Rancourt, you know, this winter, pretty much everyone in Kansas City that, that is a pretty detailed-oriented uh, baseball fan, there was no reason that Francoeur should be blocking Myers and make Myers expendable. And as we've seen now, Francoeur has been DFA'd and is over in San Francisco. Um, and couldn't hit at all this year, and and has apparently also lost the ability to run. He can't hardly run, it seems like. Um, so it was double maddening for the Royals because you know there was an obvious position of weakness in the lineup that Myers could have filled, um, and yet the Royals still moved him and kept Francoeur. Right. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Francoeur seems to be one of the, everything you read about him is that he's a tremendous guy. You know, generous with his time and. Uh, you know, really likable, so an easy guy to root for. And it, it sort of seems like teams maybe get sucked into how much they'd like him to be good and ten, instead of what the, the chances of him actually being good are. Yeah. Uh, well, the Royals have had a tendency under Dayton more to, I think, overvalue the good clubhouse guys. And Fred Coor is a good clubhouse guy. He's a great guy. He's You want him to be your neighbor. You just want him to be your right fielder. Um, he's the Royals have overvalued guys like him, Jason Kendall, Chris Getz, because of what they bring to the clubhouse and forgetting that, you know, you got to be able to perform on the field. And, and so that's, you know, while everyone agrees that Frenchie's a great guy, 
we got pretty tired of hearing that when he's hitting 208. Right. Yeah, and he seems to have something in common with a lot of other Royals, which is that he doesn't draw a lot of walks. Uh, the Royals, I think this year, are maybe second to last in walks. It seems like year after year, they put out a lineup that, that, that doesn't draw walks, and it's hard to get on base. Uh, that, I mean, I'm sure that's something you've noticed. Um is it something that gets talked about in Kansas City much? Uh, it does get talked about a lot. It's a little bit of a debate. You know, when you you have your organizational guys, your TV announcers, radio announcers, that kind of poo-poo on base percentage. Um, and But yet you know, we all know that how important that is. The Royals have never been a team that walks much. Um, if you take Alex Gordon and Billy Butler out of the equation, they don't walk at all. Uh, and I did a – just a quick and dirty study a couple of weeks ago of the minor league system, and from AAA down to low A, the Royals affiliate is either last or next to last in on-base percentage in every league they're in. So that's not something that I see changing organizationally going forward. Right. Yeah, I, it's interesting to know the minor league system too. I mean, it's obviously sort of a, a systemic directive, you know, to I guess you know tell players to be more aggressive and find a pitch to swing at. Uh, but, yeah, certainly it seems like it's become so prevalent. I mean, you know, the whole idea of money ball and on-base percentage and all that stuff, which, you know, money ball wasn't just about on-base percentage, but it was such a big part of those Oakland teams' success. And it seems like pretty common knowledge that getting on base is really, really important. And to to ignore the walk seems like a big mistake. It seems to me like the Royals will have a hard time ever putting together a big offense as long as that's a, a franchise philosophy. Well, I, I agree. And, it, and, you know, it's a problem. And, you know, they'll talk on base percentage. Dayton Moore and Ned Yost will talk about it. But, you know, yet we're batting Alcides Escobar in the second spot, and he's got a two seventy nine on base percentage, and that's that's who he is. He's a free swinger. Um, Salvador Perez is a great player, but he's never going to walk. Uh, that's just not how he's made. And, you know, unless these guys come in, and you know, Butler and Gordon walk. They're and they're our two best hitters. You know, I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. Yeah, and the the offense has been pretty down all year for Kansas City. Uh, you know, we talked about the walks. I looked. I was looking this up the other day. I think the Royals have hit six home runs all season, and the the next lowest total in the American League is something like eighty two. So there's a huge gulf between them and any other. American League team, uh, you know, Billy Butler, I think, is sort of your classic doubles hitter, uh, and they just don't really have anyone in the lineup. So if you're not drawing walks, you're not hitting home runs, you're really depending on, you know, good luck on balls in play. You know, there's only so much a team can do to control what happens when they put a ball. You know, you've got some good speed guys there, but, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a hard offense to figure out successful. Well, that's exactly right, and you know, you know, you talk about how wide the gulf is in home runs. The Royals have actually closed that. It was worse before that. They've been on a little bit of a tear where they've been hitting some home runs. Uh, you know, with Eric Hosmer heating up, and Hosmer has been very good for about the past three to four weeks, and you know, he's got some pretty decent numbers for the season now. And he's got all of a sudden he leads the team with nine home runs, and he had one. You know, I think at the end of May or something like that. So, yeah, uh, right. you know, he's the guy. You, he's the guy you look at for power. Uh, Mustakas is the other guy, and he's just not hitting at all. He's he appears to be lost to me at the plate. Um, so there's there's hope for some power, but 
like you said, if you're not going to walk and you're not going to hit for power, then you got to win a whole bunch of two-to-one games, and that's hard to do in the American League. Right. Yeah, you, I mean, you're right about Hosmer. He, uh, same thing when I was looking it up. The last 30 days, he's got eight home runs after having won in the two, two-and-a-half months before that. Do you think, is there any sense that he's maybe figured something out and is going to become the player that he was sort of projected to be for the last couple of years? I mean, it's, you know, I know it's a small sample, but he seems like maybe, in terms of hitting anyway, the most highly touted of the Kansas City prospects in the last few years. But he's been really such a disappointment. Um, so do you do you think maybe he's figuring something out? or, or you I think that... Breath? I, th- I think there's there's certainly a hope that he has started to figure things out. He looks a lot like he did in his rookie season, which was a very good season for a rookie season. Uh, he's he's driving the ball the other way, but he's pulling a few as well. Um, last year, there's kind of a consensus that there were a lot of different voices talking to him, and maybe he was listening to the wrong ones. And, you know, I don't know – we get back to presence and clubhouse guys and with George Brett as the new hitting coach, has he been able to, you know, clear Hosmer's mind and say, here's how you're going to hit. And it, it's not incoincidental that Hosmer's turnaround came about the time Brett was installed as hitting coach. And so maybe it's just a matter of saying, you know, Brett's not a technical guy. He's not going to look at film. He's not going to, he's, he's old school. He's going to say, you know, see the ball, hit the ball. And maybe that's what Hosmer did because he's loaded with natural talent. You know, he's a guy that can hit probably for average and for power. He'll take a walk. He's he's started to get walks. I mean, he really the Royals off season was predicated on the idea that Eric Hosmer is going to become a star. That's really what they were doing. They were going to go get pitching, and Hosmer was going to be a star, and Mustakas was going to be decent. Uh, and in the first two months, neither one of them was any good at all. Hosmer is now starting to get there. You know, we'll see. Is it is it a thirty day sample, and the league's going to adjust after the All Star break and pitch him differently and Hosmer's going to fade or, you know, is this who he is going forward and he's going to build on this and, and become the player that pretty much everybody thought they would. So that's our hope anyway. <laughs> I'm not 100% sold on that, but I'm hopeful. Well, easier to be hopeful about him than with Stockers right now. Like you said, he's wow, he's really struggling. I think he's got batting averages barely above 200, and like you said, he doesn't draw a walk. Um but you mentioned the position players. Going back a couple minutes ago, you were talking about the Royals' sort of inability to, to have any of their pitching prospects, whether that was, you know, bad luck or – and the Indians have had sort of a, a similar problem. It's really been – C.C. Zabathia was a pitcher they drafted and developed that turned into someone really good. And uh, I know for me and for a lot of Indians fans, that's been a, a point of frustration, and it's it's sort of impossible to know if they're drafting poorly or they develop poorly. Um, but at Let's Go Tribe, when there's yesterday's a perfect example of Danny Salazar, one of the team's top pitching prospects, but not someone who's been on any top 100 list. Um, he came up, made his MLB debut, and looked. I mean, he looked great. Um, and. It's probably the happiest Indian fans have been all year. I mean, there were times when they were in first place, but I bet you there was more excitement yesterday because just the possibility that they might have a young pitcher who's ready to be really good gets people really excited. And, uh, yeah, so it sounds like you're saying, you know, Kansas City's had sort of a similar problem. Is there Are there any pitching prospects or guys who might get called up that you've seen that kind of, 
hope around? Well, you're exactly right. Kansas City has a litany of starting pitching prospects that have flamed out before they got to the majors or when they got there. They, I don't know. Zach Greinke is the last homegrown starting pitching talent that they actually developed. Um, you look at our rotation now, it's the six guys that have started, or with Bruce Chen going tonight, he's the sixth. None of them are, you know, system guys. Um, the Royals seem to be really good at developing relievers. Almost all our bullpen is homegrown, but when it comes to starters, we haven't done very well. Danny Duffy, who is coming back from Tommy John surgery, pitching in AAA right now, and has pitched in the majors for pieces in the last couple of years, uh, he's the guy that generates excitement. He's He's got really good stuff, assuming he's healthy and can figure out how to you know, control the walks and, and get that third strike. Um, he's a guy that's got some upside, whether it's a number two or number three type starter. And then Jordani Ventura just got promoted to AAA, uh, and he's a he's a young kid. I think he's 21, uh, throws 100 miles an hour, has great stuff. He's not very big, so a lot of people think he profiles out as yet another reliever, but right now they have him starting. Uh, and he's a guy that if he comes up, people are going to be really excited to see what he can do. Yeah. I don't know that we're going to see him this year. Uh, Duffy, I think we will see as soon as he gets his pitch count up and gets some efficiency in AAA, I think he'll be up by the end of the month probably. And so he's he's a homegrown guy. They're both homegrown. That's our hope. And then Kyle Zimmer, who was drafted last year, who's in high A, uh, he was drafted out of college. Uh, he's another guy that everyone's looking forward to seeing. Now he's probably next spring away yet, but – uh, but the Royals have traditionally have a lot of great guys in the low low minors, and we hit double A, and these guys explode. And there's injuries and just ineffectiveness. And so we always cross our fingers when it comes to pitching prospects because we don't have a track record at all. So coming into this season, what were your what were your expectations for the team? Well. Logically, I thought this team was a 79-83 to win team. Uh, I think when our uh, preseason projections, when we compiled them in Royals Review, I think I said they'd win 85 games because I'm always a little optimistic in the spring. Um, general consensus uh, on our side and our commenters, and pretty much in the city, I think, was that this would be a 500 team, a little above, a little below, maybe catch lightning in a bottle and be able to contend and get to 88 or 89 wins. But they're about where we thought they would be. They got there in a little different way, but they're three games under 500. They've been up and down. But basically, this is a 500 team, and that's what we expected. Yeah, I think that's almost exactly what my expectations were with, with the Royals and with the Indians this year. It felt like you know Detroit obviously has the most talent in the division. And then, uh, you know, the, the Twins – have right now the twins look like they maybe have the best farm system and if guys develop in a couple of years they might be good again. The White Sox are sort of aging out of their contending windows. Yeah, the Royals and Indians are the two teams that, like you said, lightning in a bottle. They're they're good enough that on merit you'd expect them to be about five hundred and with some breaks then maybe they contend. And you know, right now the Indians especially, that's sort of what's happened. They're only two and a half games back and uh I think for a small market team, the AL Central has been a pretty good division to play in because, you know, Detroit recently has become a big spender and Chicago is sort of on that second tier of spending. But it's not like being in, say, the AL East where, 
you've got so much money being thrown out there. Um, well, yeah, you've got a chance in the AL Central because, you know, like you said, Detroit's the only real big spender. Uh, the White Sox will spend money, but I don't know that they spend it very effectively sometimes. Um, so you have a chance. Uh, the problem is, I, you know, even going into the season, while Detroit has not played particularly well, you just feel like there's a 28-5 and five streak in there for them, that they're just going to blow this division away, and that'll be that. And and with the AL East shaping up like it is, it's going to be hard to get even the second wild card spot, I think, this year. Yeah, I think the thing with, with the wild card with the East is either those teams are going to separate a bit, and Tampa's been playing really well. They sort of look like they're maybe going to separate with Boston from the other ones. But if they don't, then, you know, maybe they beat up on each other throughout the second. They have a ton of games left against one another. And, you know, if they if they all stay in contention, then none of them are going to be able to win, you know, too many games. And maybe, you know, 86, 87 wins is enough for one of the wild cards, which to me feels like about the ceiling of at least the Indians' season. Um, so Detroit's only one team to have to catch. But, yeah, I, I feel like Detroit's going to finish with more wins than that second wild card team. Well, I, we'll I think last too. I, yeah, I go think ahead. Detroit will end up. I think Detroit will end up somewhere in the mid nineties in wins. I just, I, I just think they're too good to be fifty and forty-one. You know, I and then the, the the flip side of that is you've got the West where you have Oakland and Texas, and they get to play Houston a whole lot and Seattle, and and you know, so you almost think that. One of them will win the West, and one of them will get the wild card spot, and then you're down fighting with whoever's second in the AL East. And and right. while you're right, I think they'll beat each other up. It's also possible that you know if Tampa and Boston separate, there's a couple of 90 win teams, and and I know Kansas City's not getting a 90, and, and Cleveland's going to have to work, like you said, they could get the 88 or 89, can they get the 91 or 92. That's a reach. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, Detroit. The White Sox were in first place until for most of the second half until the last couple of days. So who knows? You know, maybe the Tigers do kind of stumble again. But like you said, they've got so much talent. It feels like at some point they just go on a tear. Justin Verlander hasn't been pitching quite as well, and he's had some bad luck too. If you look at his batting average on balls in play, it's like 50 points above his career level. He's, I, I have every confidence that he's gonna get things going again, and Annabelle Sanchez is back and looks like he hasn't lost anything to the injury. I just look at their rotation and feel like, like you said, at some point they have a three-week stretch where they just, you know, step on the gas and pull away. And obviously the hope is that that doesn't happen, but we'll see. Yeah, I just I can see that coming, and, and then you're down fighting with a whole bunch of teams for the wild card. And, you know, that all leads back to, you know why the Royals were why we were upset during the off season because Dayton Moore made a big trade to get James Shields, but all it did is get us in the conversation. It's not going to get us in the playoffs. Yeah, I I know there was some talk at the time that you know, he's been there for a while and maybe feels like if they don't make the playoffs or come awfully close soon, he's going to be out of a job. And there's always I think a concern with you know a general manager. Is he doing what's best for his job, or is he doing what's best for the team? Because those aren't always going to be the same thing. You know, a GM, unless he has a lot of confidence that he's going to be allowed to keep his job for the next three or four years, might feel like, gosh, i got to go for it now, uh, whereas it probably 
wasn't really what was in Kansas City's best interest. Well, I think there was a fair amount of that in in that, and and you know, sadly, with the state of the Royals, if they finish around 500, that's good enough for Moore to save his job. And, uh, and I think that's exactly what was going on. I think that saves Ned Yost's job as manager too. Uh, you know, so while while you'd like to think that this team ought to make the playoffs or somebody needs to pay the price, in the end, 500 is apparently what ownership is willing to be comfortable with for this year. So if, just speaking for yourself, let's say they, they go, you know, they win 76 games or something like that. Would you, you know, I don't even know what another rebuild would look like at this point, but, you know, whatever players might have value being traded away for for prospects, would you, you know, want to pull the plug and, and sort of start over again, or do you want to just see what this team can do for the next couple of years? Well, I don't know that I would completely pull the plug. Uh, what I would do, you know, depending, I'll be honest, if the Royals lose two or three this weekend in Cleveland and two or three to Detroit coming out of the All-Star break, I'd certainly move Irvin Santana. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I think he has some value. He's pitched awfully well. I'd entertain moving James Shields either at the break or at the end of the year for prospects in hopes that your pitching prospects coming up can fill in that that gap and your hitting will get better. Um, you know, I, I don't think you blow this up. I mean, you keep Butler, you keep Gordon, you keep Hosmer, uh, you keep Salvador Perez, obviously. Um, you live or die without CDs Escobar at shortstop until someone, you know, hits you in the face with a better shortstop. Um, but I think you do look at moving some of these veteran pitchers, if you can, for players that are close to the to the majors. I don't think you make the deal for the for the high upside A ball guys like maybe we did in the past. But uh, yeah, I think you look at. It. I mean, if this team wins seventy six games, I think there's no reason not to move James Shields. Yeah, which is an interesting thought. I, you know, I've had certainly I'm sure not as much because the Indians are, are doing pretty well. But you know, they signed Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne both to, to four potentially five year deals in the off season, and I was you know happy with both. Uh, Bourne has been sort of a disappointment. Swisher's been so-so. But I sort of hate to, but I find myself thinking, gosh, if they fall out of it, should they look to trade at least one of those two? Because, you know, where they are at in their careers, this year and next year are likely to be the the best years they have under those contracts, and then they're going to start to decline. And, you know, the Indians going to have – dollars in dead weight on their payroll two and three years from now if they've got those two. And if they're contending this year, certainly keep it together. But I do find myself wondering if maybe, you know, it'd be strange to pawn someone off that you just signed to a big year. And I have no idea what the market for either of them would be. Uh, but, yeah, I've had that same thought that if, if it's not going to work out this year, maybe just try to, to clear the payroll again so you can make another push in a year or two when maybe some of the younger guys have up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I thought both of those contracts were pretty aggressive on behalf of the Indians. Um, obviously kind of a win-now sort of deal. I don't know how easily it is to move either one of those guys with those current contracts. You know, that may be something that the Indians have to look at maybe towards the end of 2014 when there isn't so much money on those. I, You know, any more, um, unless the guy is really performing – Teams are wary of giving up prospects to take on money, even the big market teams now. So, I mean, they may they may live and die with Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne. 
<laughs> three years from now, I would expect that to be more dying than living. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think to be a Royals fan, to be an Indians fan, I mean, you know, certainly an Indians fan's gotten to enjoy a little more success the last 20 years, but it's sort of a similar boat where, you know, you got to hope a lot of things go right at the same time. If you, if you have enough of your young players develop together, you're going to get a window where you can contend, and if they don't, you're going to be out in the wilderness for a while, and... You know, if it's not going to be the Indians, I just assume see other small market teams that haven't had much success do well. Uh, you know, it's nice to see a team like Tampa that's been able to be successful, although I guess it also makes a lot of people feel like, well, gosh, why can't we do that? Uh, exactly. You know, Or Oakland. Oakland's a team we look at and yep. say, you know, you look at that lineup, and I'm sure in Cleveland you do the same thing. You say, well, we're better everywhere than they are, and yet <laughs> Oakland just keeps winning. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know it's you know you can talk and talk about why it might be and whatever the case is, you know some teams have been able to do it and others haven't. We'll see how how things play out in the second half. I the, the a few weeks ago I was talking to uh, Ryan, who's the editor of Let's Go Tribe, and he was on the podcast, and we were saying we needed to. The Detroit starting rotation to decide to retire in mass, and that was the best bet. But uh, <laughs> well, you know the bad the bad thing about Detroit is they're really not a very old team. I mean, Torrey Hunter's old, and in theory, yeah. Verlander Verlander's arm could fall off at some point. Although I sure haven't seen evidence of it. But you know, Mikel Cabrera is not even thirty yet. I don't think he's, he maybe just he, turned thirty. Exactly thirty, I think. Yeah, so you know they're they're going to be around for a while. <laughs> yeah, they don't. I mean, in terms of contracts, they don't lose anyone big after this year to free agency. Max Scherzer's only got one year left, and then they'll have to make a decision on him. But basically, yeah, that team they've got isn't going anywhere for a couple of years, and and they won't be old enough yet in a couple of years. Which is why, you know, if things don't go well this year for the Indians, I start to already kind of think, oh, well, what about 2015 or 16? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, Detroit's going to be there. And Minnesota's yeah. probably going to get there, too. Uh, the division's not going to get any easier the next couple of years, I don't think. Well, you know, that's always, you know, when you follow, you know, one team really closely, you know, as a lot of fans do, they forget that, you know, while the Royals improved themselves, everyone else did stuff in the off season too. And, you know, everyone's constantly moving. Everybody's got a farm system. Like you said, I think Minnesota's got a very good farm system. Um, yeah. Detroit's not going anywhere, uh, and you know in Kansas City there's kind of a running joke. Dayton Moore had a five-year plan when he came into play, and then next thing you know it's eight years, then it's ten, and our year for contention keeps being two years away. So <laughs> it, it gets old after a while. Yeah, I yeah certainly. Um, so heading into the All-Star break. You know, Indians and Royals in a pretty similar boat right now. It'll be a very similar boat if Kansas City could take two or three and the Indians have a chance to create a little separation and maybe push Kansas City into, you know, this year being off the map. Um, if you could have one player on the Royals have a big, big second half, who would you choose? Well, I would choose uh, Eric Osmer simply because – 
he's the guy that when we talk about having a big, big second half, he could have the biggest of the second halves. And that would bode well for 2014 and beyond. Uh, he's the key to this franchise. I mean, Gordon and Butler are going to be who they are. They're pretty good players. Hosmer's the guy that you could see being a superstar. Uh, and so while I don't know, you know, if Hosmer could stay like this and has had a big second half, it might be better for the Royals this year. Long term, I'd like to see Hosmer just be red hot the rest of this year. And that would give us a lot of hope and something to really build on for 2014. Sounds good. Well, Clark, thank you for joining me. You, uh, will you be watching the All-Star game next week? Do you care at all about that? I will check in on the All-Star game. I'm not a big All-Star game guy. I don't really care a whole lot about it. I don't care who gets snubbed and who doesn't. Uh, but I'll probably watch, uh, at least for a while, see if Gordon and Perez get in. But other than that, my interest in the All-Star game is pretty minimal. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, and I uh, hope to talk to you again sometime in the future. All right. Thanks a lot for having me on. That was Clark Fosler of Royals Review. Uh, Indians and Royals kicking off their series at Progressive Field tonight. First pitch is at 7 o'clock or 7.05. And uh, we'll see what we get from that. The Indians, again, they're four games over 500 at the moment and two and a half back at Detroit. So if they could, you know, take two or three from Kansas City this weekend, They'll be in, you know, pretty good shape. Uh, you know, maybe only a game and a half, two and a half back at the All-Star break. Uh, Corey Kluber is pitching tonight against Bruce Chen of the Royals, who's I think making his first start of the season. Uh, and then Scott Casimir and Ubaldo will be going Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Ubaldo draws James Shields, a tough matchup there. But we'll see. My fingers are crossed. Take two or three, going to the All-Star break, having won a couple series in a row with a winning record. Uh, you know, I think as Indian fans, if, you know, going into the season, you know, you offered us being five games over, two and a half back at the All-Star break, uh, that's something we should take. So we'll see what happens. The All-Star break starts Monday at the All-Star game Tuesday, and then the Indians don't play again until Friday. So uh, get what you can out of the Indians this weekend because you're going to be deprived for a few days after that. Thanks again to Clark for joining me and to all of you for listening. This has been Episode 5 of Let's Talk Drive.